Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Christ is wonderful, is he not? We want to welcome you. If you're a guest here with us or a seeker or a skeptic, we're glad that you're here with us this morning as well. And uh, actually, we're in a series right now called Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? We're looking at seven bold statements that Jesus made about his identity. And uh, my hope is that as we consider what Jesus says about himself, that we will conclude that, yes, Jesus is in fact worthy of our trust and our worship. Today we're going to look at Jesus' claim to be the light of the world. All right, so if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them to John chapter 8. What is interesting about this particular statement that Jesus makes is that it's not connected to any kind of a sign uh, or miracle that he performs. It's not connected to any evidence to back up his claims. Guys, Jesus merely stands up in front of a large mixed group of people, kind of like what we have here today, and he just speaks words. He just simply speaks words. And if you keep reading the chapter, later on we find out that many, not a some, not a couple, not a few, many people believe in Jesus and they follow him with their life on the basis of the words that he speaks right here. That's just so interesting to me. The mere words that Jesus speaks about himself are that persuasive. My hope is that that would happen to each and every one of us in this room today. That upon hearing Jesus speak about himself, that you would believe him. That you would discover how wonderful he is. You would discover him worthy and that you would follow him with your life. I think that could happen. So even though we're going to read a, a, an exchange, a big exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees, I really want to focus this morning just on the statement that Jesus makes about himself. So if you would please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And that's the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are here uh, with us this morning. 
you are alive and you are present with us this morning. We thank you for that. Would you make your presence known uh, to each and every one of us today? Uh, we pray that your words that you have spoken uh, would ring true to us and be found to be persuasive to us. Give us, we ask Jesus, eyes to see you for who you really are. That would be a great gift to us. Amen. Uh, we all say arrogant things, right? We all say arrogant things, but it is a condition that seems to afflict the young with much more consistency uh, and frequency. You know, a statement just pops out of their mouth, and you think, wow, you just said that. Like, how could someone lack such self-awareness to make that statement? In February 1964, at the ripe old age of 22 years old, 22 years old, Muhammad Ali famously said of the heavyweight champion Sonny Liston, quote, he'll fall in eight to prove that I'm great. And if he keeps talking jive, I'm going to cut it to five. I am the greatest. At the wise age of 25 years old, on July 29, 1966, John Lennon was infamously quoted as saying that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Now, that was seemingly offhanded comment during a British interview led to a firestorm reaction across the pond to, of many Americans protesting their concerts, of many Christians or burning their Beatles albums after he made that comment. I'm sure that many people had the same reaction to a young Jesus who caused his own stir around the age of 29 when he announced, I am the light of the world. That's a big statement. Stating your own greatness will cause people to either vilify you or be inspired by you, but they do not give listeners the option of ignoring you. But you will respond to their statement. Jesus makes a statement of his own greatness that's even bolder than the Beatles and Ali put together. I am the light of the world. And so, guys, we, we need to get some context just to see how radical uh, of a self-identifying statement this really is. John tells us where Jesus makes this statement. It was right at the end of the passage uh, that we read, right? He makes this statement at the temple. Why is that important? Because that's where Jews went to meet with God. That's where God lived. Earlier in the gospel, John tells us when Jesus makes his statements. During the Feast of Tabernacles. Where he makes a statement, when he makes his statement. That's all significant context to the statement. The Feast of Tabernacles is the feast in which the Jews celebrated God coming down from heaven and living among them as they traveled through the wilderness for years and years. God was there on earth with them, guiding them, leading them, and keeping them alive in the wilderness. It was also a festival, a celebration of the looking forward to the day when God himself would be among his people forever, giving them light and giving them life forever. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 60, verse 20, Isaiah says this, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. 
So it's going to be a joyful time when this happens. It's going to be a celebratory time when this happens. So the Feast of Tabernacles, it lasted an entire week, guys. It was the most raucous of the feast days. This was a festival full of joy and celebrating and happiness. The Levitical choirs would sing songs that filled the street with music and singing. There'd be dancing all night long. People weren't sleeping at night. They were dancing and singing and having a great time at night. And here's the thing. There were these few, four huge structures. They're like these ma- massive like lampstands. They were so tight to get up on a ladder to fill them up with oil. There are these huge stands located all around the Holy Temple, and they held these multiple bowls from chains on each of these stands. These massive bowls were filled with oil, and they had like a little wick in them. It'd be like a priest's garment that was soiled, and they'd throw it in there, and that'd be the wick. And every night, they would light these up, these big, huge lampstands up to light up the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Mishnah says that the amount that, of light that these massive lamps put off not only clearly lit up the entire temple during the night, but they illuminated the entire city of Jerusalem. That's a big deal. That's a lot of light. It was like the sun had risen over the entire city and had made darkness into daylight because the Jews were worshiping their God who would one day do that very thing across the whole world. Are you getting the symbolism? Are you getting the picture of what this had to have looked like for people? Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine this huge illumination happening during a time when there was no public lighting. There were no street lamps that the city put out and lit up. That didn't exist, okay? So when the sun went down, you had to stop moving. That's how dark it was. You had to stop traveling. You had to stop working. You had to stop going wherever you were going. And you had to go indoors because it was so dark. You couldn't see where you were going. This kind of celebration had to have been a colossal spectacle to behold, right? And so get this. That's the picture. That's the significance of what's going on. And here's what happens. Jesus goes and he stands in front of the temple where people meet with God and with these lamps blazing behind him, the whole city glowing with light and joy and song and celebration in the night, he says this, I am the light. I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. Are you picturing this? Guys, this is huge. This claim by Jesus about himself, it is so huge and so radical that it simultaneously does three things. It exposes our condition, it reveals his uniqueness, and it illuminates how we should respond to Jesus. So with this claim, Jesus exposes our true spiritual condition. Let's go back a slide. Jesus exposes our true spiritual condition. So we're going to look at this identity claim again. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, There's both a warm glow and a sharp edge to this statement that 
Jesus makes here. He's referencing Genesis 1, because that's the first reference to there being light in the world. In the beginning, God made the world, but it was undeveloped. It was an empty world. It existed, but there was no life in it. Why? Because there was only darkness and chaos. And then God created light to push back the darkness, and life started to happen in the world. See, it's the light that led to life. Is this making sense? That when it's dark, you can't see things as they really are. Amen? You can say amen. That's all right, all right? You can't see things as they really are. They may be there, but you can't see them. You can't recognize them. Anyone ever woke up in the middle of the night and you, like, rushed to the bathroom, right? And you banged into a door, right? You banged into a wall. You're like, oh, it's 3 in the morning. And you bang into that wall, right? What happened? It's not like the wall moved, right? The wall didn't scoot over two inches to the left in the middle of the night, right? The wall was always, it's been where it's always been. It is always there. What? But you just didn't see it. It affected your ability to perceive it and recognize it, right? And so you ran into the wall. When Jesus says that he's the light of the world and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, the implication is that you and I are living in darkness right now. You're living with the lights off. That's what he's saying. Not physical darkness. There's light on in here, right? He's talking about spiritual darkness. Apart from Jesus, he's saying, look, apart from me, you don't know God. You don't know him. We may have a vague sense of who God is, and at best we get a sense that God exists and that he's powerful. We get that from creation. We're like, well, this came from somewhere, so God must have done it, and he must be real powerful. But that's about it. That's about all we can perceive about God. It's like straining to see something in the dark. We may know a generic fact or two about God's nature, but we don't personally know God in any meaningful way apart from Jesus. You see, for all of our going to church or reading the Bible or visiting religious places or taking spiritual pilgrimage or lighting candles or obeying rules or reciting chants or the wearing of spiritual clothing or the eating of a special diet, we do not know God apart from Jesus revealing him to us. All those things and all that work does nothing to bring us to a closer personal knowledge of the living God. If those things have value, they only have value after we know God. Does that make sense? So here's what he's saying. Regardless of how we personally feel about it, regardless of what we tell ourselves, Jesus' statement about himself exposes our true spiritual condition. He's the light. He's shining a spotlight on your condition and my spiritual condition. Without him, we do not know God in any way that can bring life to our lives. What we call living, Jesus calls stumbling around in the dark. Now, how many of you guys like hearing that? Not, not on either. Now listen, there's two ways we can respond to that statement. There's two ways that you and I can respond to Jesus. One way is we can be offended by what Jesus says and the statement that he makes. 
We could be like this. Look, how dare Jesus say that I'm living in spiritual darkness? How dare he say that I'm spiritually blind to God without him? I see God just fine. I know God just fine without him. How dare Jesus say that I don't have any life apart from him? Look at my life. I've got a full life. I've got a great life. When we've been in the dark, you guys know this in the physical world, right? When we've been in the dark for a long time, what happens to your eyes? Your eyes get adjusted to the dark, right? Your eyes get adjusted to not being able to see stuff. And when someone comes in and they shine the light on you, they shine the light in your eyes after you've been in the dark for a while, what do you do? Hey, hey turn the light off. Quit shining the light in my eye. That hurt. That hurts. That bothers me. I don't like it. Knock it off, right? You guys, have ever, you guys have done this before, right? We get angry when someone shines the light on us. And that's one way we can respond to Jesus. But there's another way we can respond to Jesus shining the light on us. And it's this. Gratitude. Thank you that you love me enough to shine a light on my life. Thank you. We can thank him that he loves us enough to expose the blind spots that are quietly killing us and we didn't even know because we just couldn't see it until he shined that light on us. Kind of like going to a counselor and that counselor after a while starts showing you the blind spots and this is how you respond and this is why you're blowing up your friendships and this is why you're blowing up your relationships and this is why you're just shredding all your marriage and you can't see it but I can see it. Let me show it to you. And we say, thank you. Thank you for showing that to me. We can thank Jesus that he's exposing our darkness while there is still time to change it. While there is still time for, us to give, for him to give us the light that leads to life. And I hope and pray that is how you will respond to Jesus in his words. Secondly, Jesus' claim reveals his spiritual uniqueness. His statement reveals his spiritual uniqueness. So let's look at the claim again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. John, who wrote this gospel, is very comfortable using words that other religions and philosophies would use in their writings and in their teachings. He has no problem borrowing and using words that they use, okay? Almost every philosophy in the world has some reference to light being good, right? Almost every philosophy and religion has some kind of reference to like darkness being bad, and we should avoid it, right? But the way John uses the word light and the way John uses the word darkness is different. Spiritual light doesn't mean merely truth, or inner peace, or personal enlightenment, or even God in some vague, generic sense when John's using this word. In the Gospel of John, light is not an idea. Rather, it is a person. It's a very specific person. This light has a name. When Jesus proclaims that he, for him to be the light of the world, he's claiming to be the only light that shows us Jesus clearly. 
or shows us God clearly. He's not a light among others, but he is the light. He's making an exclusive claim. That's why it's such a radical statement, right? He is saying, I am spiritually unique. You need to give me a hard look. Don't lump me in with everything else. You need to give me a hard look. Look again. Think again when you think about me. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying basically this, I am the one that shows you fully, clearly, and correctly who God the Father is truly like. If you've seen me, then you have seen the Father, and no one else in the world can do this for you, not even you. You can't do this for you. I can only do this for you. Now, if we're honest, we don't like exclusive claims very much, do we? It sounds really intolerant, doesn't it? It sounds intolerant to exclude people, Right? But I want you to consider something. I want you to consider how helpful it is to have someone make an exclusive claim in regard to truth. It's kind of like this. This might help. It's like when a news channel puts out an exclusive interview on someone that's famous. So it's someone that you think you know because you see them on the TV screen or the movie screen all the time. And this news team puts out an exclusive interview on this famous person. What that means is that you are seeing the only interview of that person in their own words. No other channel has the rights to that interview. It it belongs exclusively to ABC or CBS or whatever the channel is, right? So here's the thing. When you hear someone else talking about that person, you hear them attributing a quote to that person, or you hear them saying something about making a judgment claim about them, you have a reliable standard upon which to judge that claim or that quote. you got a standard to judge it by to see whether they really know what they're talking about or not, right? You judge that claim by the one and only exclusive interview that they gave in their own words. Being exclusive is a really good thing sometimes. It helps us know whether we know something or not. Jesus is the exclusive interview that God the Father gave on the record and in writing. You know what that means? You can check it out. You can check it out. It's not a secret. It's right there. Jesus is the light that exclusively and therefore reliably reveals God to the whole world world it's a good thing it's a good thing hebrews 1 verse 3 says this he that's jesus jesus is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power because jesus is exclusively the radiance of god the light of god you can know if it's truly god that you believe in or a fake imitation or something different right you can know jesus is the standard that we compare all of our supposed knowledge of god against which is good news because it means that we do not have to embrace some kind of vague generic spirituality of our own making that cannot really comfort us in times of sorrow you don't have to embrace that you have something better you can grab hold of something better and richer and deeper and more robust vague spirituality cannot lead you in days of darkness it can't really give you direction in days of confusion because you, you kind of have a sense of it, but you don't know. 
Vague spirituality of our making cannot even comfort us in days of sorrow. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something better. If you follow Jesus, that means if you surrender your life GPS to Jesus and you trust him, then you know God. And you have life. You should be smiling. That's good news, guys. <laughs> Listen, I want you to notice something else, okay? Jesus says that he is the light of the world, right? This is a very packed statement. That means that he makes God known to everyone without distinction to ethnicity or nationality or gender or social class or education level. Do you see how spiritually unique Jesus Christ is? Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world while standing in the court of the women. That's where the treasury is located, right? That's what that verse says. He was in the treasury at the temple. It was in the court of the women. The, the deeper that you went into the holy temple, the closer you got to God himself, and therefore, the more off-limits God became. Why? Because God's holy, and you just can't just walk on into God's presence. You'll die. You've got to be purified, right? Only the high priest was allowed to go into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. And so the court of the women was outside the temple where anyone that wanted to worship God could do so. Men and women, Jews and Gentile believers, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, locals of Jerusalem and pilgrims from other places. They could all come and they could worship God in this place. Jesus is saying that the only way that you and I get the light of life, the only way that we know God in a way that actually gives life to us is by knowing Jesus personally and no other way. If you follow Jesus, you got the light of life. If you do not follow Jesus, you don't have the light of life. It's exclusive in that following Jesus is the one requirement, but listen to this. Don't miss this. It's also inclusive in that Jesus is the only requirement. He is the one requirement, but he's the only requirement. Isn't that good news? Unlike many other religions and philosophies in Christianity, there is no additional requirement. There is no additional ethnic requirements or gender requirements or geographical requirements or social status requirements or even religious progression requirements to gain access to God and salvation. Jesus is not just the light. He is also the light of the world, family. As Timothy Keller says, Jesus' claims are unapologetically exclusive but it's the most inclusive form of exclusivism in the entire world. Thirdly, Jesus' claim illuminates the response that you need to take and I need to take. His claim illuminates the response that we need to take. Let's go back to the verse here. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, whoever... Whoever follows me. Whoever follows me. Me. 
He's pointing at himself. Jesus stands at the temple in front of these blazing lampstands during the Feast of Tabernacles on, in the night, and he makes an incredible statement about his identity. I am the light of the world. And it is linked to an incredible promise. You will have the light of life. You won't walk in darkness. But the promise is conditional. This is not an unconditional promise, guys. It's a conditional promise. The claim and the promise are linked by what? A proper response. In order to have the light that brings life, you must follow me. You see, the question that we have to ask is how does that light become my light? How does that great promise become my great promise? And in the end, having the light comes by seeing that Jesus is who he said he is and following him. It comes by seeing and by following him. Jesus, follow me, he says that a lot. When he says that phrase, follow me, it's a reference to when God led the Israelites through the wilderness by a pillar of firelight for 40 years in the wilderness. The light of God went to the right and the people went to the right. The light of God stopped for the night, and the people stopped for the night. Wherever the light went, the people went. And that's how they got through the wilderness for 40 years. They lived each day by trusting the light of God instead of trusting themselves to lead them through the wilderness. Following Jesus means surrendering him to him, your homemade spiritual GPSs. You're, giving, you're handing over that spiritual GPS that you've been using to navigate your way through life all this time, whether that's your religious activities or your spiritual experiences that you've had or that's how much you know the Bible or your moral resume. It means that you trust your life to Jesus because you see that he is God come down to give light to people in darkness. You say, I'm going to trust him. I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. See, following Jesus, trusting Jesus, does not ultimately come by argumentation. Did you know that? You can't argue your way to God in the end. It has a place, it has a role. But having the light of God doesn't come ultimately by argumentation it comes by hearing the words of christ about himself and believing that he is who he says he is right faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ that's what it says in romans you do not see light by making an argument for light you understand what i'm saying it doesn't work you see light by having eyes that aren't blind that's how you see light the presence of light in a room is self-attesting. You understand what I'm saying? The lights are on in here. How do you know? Because I can, you see it. I have to prove it to you. It's there, right? It doesn't need evidence. It doesn't need argument. It doesn't need multiple witnesses. Light is self-evident. It's just there, and you see it if your eyes are working properly. Does this make sense? And when you see light, you're able to see everything else clearly in the room. You're able to see everything else that happens to you in life properly. 
Does this make sense? You guys tracking with me? If you are having difficulty following Jesus, trusting Jesus, then you need to ask him for eyes to see. That's really what you need to ask him for. You don't need to read another book about Jesus. You don't need another piece of evidence. You don't need to see a miracle. You don't need to see, you don't need to have your questions answered. What you need are eyes that work properly. That's what you really need. That's what you need. And you know what? He can give that to you. He can give that to you. So ask him. Ask Jesus for the ability to see him clearly. And you know what? He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. Ask him for the ability to see how bright and beautiful and radiant and glorious and life-giving and worthy he is, and he will do that for you by grace. And when he gives you eyes to really see him, truly see him, follow him without hesitation and without reservation. I love you guys. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, you are the Lord of the world. And you are the light of the world. And you say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Nobody talks like you, Jesus. And nobody has done what you have done. Lord, I want to pray right now that you would give us eyes, spiritual eyes that can that work properly, that can see you clearly. If we're offended by what you say about yourself, God, would you, would you change us? Would you help us see the darkness that's, that we're really walking in and see how much you actually really love us to put that in front of us? Lord, you've shown us the way, who you are and the way to respond, so help us do that today. Help us do that by your power, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.